Frenzy is presented by Nova Home Loans. Call 577-2600 for help in buying a new home. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. All right, let's do it. Five o'clock hours here. Candy, Cofield, Damon. Lots of NFL to get to. A lot of rumors around Jonathan Taylor, the uh, running back for the Colts, which I think has a connection to Josh Jacobs, the running back with the Raiders. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. We had mentioned uh, Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant Day, 824, you know, number eight, number 24. By the way, his birthday is on 823, so get a couple of days for Kobe. And Candy, you had mentioned last hour, you don't really get it. He's got a uh, mixed legacy. And you were saying what? You basically have to lean on Lakers fans to get why how this has gotten so big with the reverence for Kobe. If you drive around LA, I mean any part of Southern California, yep. you will see <laughs> murals painted on walls of Kobe Bryant, of his daughter. Uh, and obviously a lot of it after the helicopter crash, which is completely understandable. We're about to put a statue outside crypto.com arena of, of Kobe Bryant. And look, he was a great player. I understand. I feel like the legacy is a lot more complicated in a lot more ways with him than it is of others. And so that's where I'm lost. I don't get it. I, I don't I don't understand why it is as strong as it is as uh, Steve Cofield has a number of images on his phone of uh, I'm guessing those are your own photos that you've taken of, of Kobe murals. I did. I, t- I was in uh, L.A. and uh, and then the valley is L.A. But I was uh, at Venice Beach about two weekends ago and we passed several of the murals. So I get it. I mean, he is he certainly grow. I mean, he was big in L.A. before he passed away in the tragedy accident with his daughter. But, I mean, he's just gotten so big since. Um, Damon, you were saying That basically, Kobe, he created the mythos of that player, that person that people love so much, that, you know, basically after Colorado, he reformed himself. And I think what he was, because to your point, let's say the eight years of Kobe, where it was, this guy's a bit of a jerk. People really don't like him that much. You know, he's a little bit spoiled. He's entitled. Why does he not like Shaq so much? But I do think that that time that he had away from Shaq, where he created that Black Mamba character based off Kill Bill, where he was tapping into something that I think that everyone could resonate with, with I'll just say our American culture of, that guy works hard. That guy just wants it more than people. And that's something that when everyone gets involved in sports, let's say parents-wise, you just want your kid to be, he works harder than everybody else. When it comes to your job, your boss is going to love the hardest worker in the room. And Kobe was the sports personification of that. Candy? I hear that. That, that You know what? It, it, there's something in the modern era about the idea of not just I work harder than everybody, but if I work harder than everybody, and if because I work harder than everybody, I'm successful, then you can't say anything about me. Right. And okay. that's kind of yeah. where we ended up. Yeah. Right. That, that, where we ended up was I'm going to be bulletproof because I'm not going to leave you anything else to say about me other than what you already know about what did or didn't happen in that hotel in Colorado. And that I understand that I can absolutely respect about where it came from. He's also in a sport that I think casual fans are the hardest on when it comes to that whole angle about athletes these days they don't care like our heroes in the past anyone going to say that about Kobe like he's the one guy who basically you can't go after him from a competitive standpoint right who's going to fight it 
who's going to pull the, you know, back in my day, this guy was more competitive. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Now, there, there is the basketball part of it, and DeMond, you know, sort of slipped it in there. I remember doing Sports Talk Radio. I've been doing it a long time, but back when, you know, Kobe and, and Shaq were, like, really going at it, and I was not a Kobe guy, and I didn't like Kobe's behavior, and I thought he set up Shaq, and I liked Shaq a lot. He was my guy, but the, the further you come away from it, and then you see how Kobe, you know, dragged others to his level once Shaq was gone and still kept winning. Um, and I mean, even if we want to go to the cheesiest, cheesiest level, like, Shredding your Achilles and then still freaking going out there making a couple free throws, that adds to the legend. But I was on the other side. I didn't understand Kobe, but the more stories you hear, I'm not saying all of his methods were right either. He didn't handle everything correctly. Uh, There were games uh, where, hey, to prove a point, you know what? I'm not freaking shooting. It's on you. And you know what my feeling is? You're probably going to look like jackasses, but I'm going to make the sacrifice to freaking teach you a lesson and also show everyone out there, stop giving me guff. I'm, I'm going to show you what these guys are like if I'm not like what I'm like normally. So, And then there was, what was there, the uh, – the what year was that documentary based on? I can't remember now. The uh, whatever Team USA team he was on. Um, there were all the stories out of that. Like everyone's like, what the – He know? revived USA basketball. That's that he, another reason. That, yep, he saved USA basketball, or at least turned around the attitude that international play really was important. And even if you were making millions of dollars, you have to bust your ass. To you know, to win for USA, and I'm not even—I don't even know that I'm on board for that, but he was. So it's just kind of grown. Um, and Candy, you know this. There are other heroes, and I often speak against them. There are other heroes where we just sort of ignore the creepy and jackassery side of them. Like you watch. I'll give you a good example. Um, 25 years from now, right? I don't think Bobby Knight's going to live 25 years. But you wa- watch how a lot of his image is washed. Because we got a lot, we, we got to know him a lot more down the stretch, and we saw how horrible he could be. That's one of those guys who we look back on, and, be, and people will be like, oh, he, all that stuff was overblown that they said he did. It just it happens with certain, it happens with actors. I mean, I don't have to go into John Wayne. I mean, what, what a freaking phony legacy uh, there is with John Wayne. And I'm sure there's people having coronaries right now that I say that, but. Uh, go read, go watch some documentaries, you know, but certain people are labeled heroes and especially after their death, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and any warts we just forget about. And part of what really strikes me about guys like Kobe where it's it's beyond the sexual assault allegations, it has to do with the fact that by most measures, you're a psychopath. Like if I met that person <laughs> on the street, and heard the sorts of things that you hear when yeah. Kobe Bryant would talk about mama mentality and we would talk how he would approach the world outside of his own family, then I think that's the kind of person where we we so often, like when we look at politicians, it's like, I would have a beer with that guy. Yeah. I would love to have a drink with her. I don't think I wanted to have a beer with him. <laughs> I, I think I would have been kind of like freaked out by the persona. Now, he might have been a completely different person. Right. It might have been all public image. I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who dealt closely with the man who would tell you that there's a lot we didn't know. I think you could say that about any number of athletes or stars or movie people or whoever it is. It's just that they don't all get statues outside the stadium and they don't all have the same background that we know about as much as we do. And the reverence that the murals come out of and the statue comes out of. That's the part that's always been hard for me to process when it comes to Kobe. And maybe it's just because when it comes to sports in general, I don't lionize anybody 
that way, even from the teams I love that yeah. have brought me the happiness that they have. Derek Jeter? Oh, the hell with that phony image, please. <laughs> Seriously. No, I'm going to tell, tell you what. Yeah. You look up I'll, Mariano Rivera, mm-hmm. Paul O'Neill. There's some photos out there with uh, certain people that they like to hang out with that have been a little difficult for me to process when it comes to the late mm-hmm. 90s Yankees. All right, there you go. Uh, it's Cofield and Company. Demont's here. Adam Candy is with us on this Thursday. So... Some developments with running backs around the NFL? Maybe. This show, Cofield and Company, is very good at, and a lot of sports talk radio shows are like this. When we argue, people file it away, and then we like to come back with the, told you, you were wrong. I'm not there yet. Not there yet. But Candy came on Monday, and I tried to present a case for the elite running back, still has value. There's going to be teams that are going to want Jonathan Taylor, maybe some teams that will want Josh Jacobs, I went through like seven of them, and it was just like freaking shooting fish in a barrel. I just got shot repeatedly. Every one of my arguments got shot down by candy. So now I see the stories out. Uh, 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 here we go. Doesn't mean anything. But Jonathan Taylor was told, go seek out a trade. There are reports out there that teams are at least calling the Bears, the Eagles, the Dolphins. And I think I mentioned all three of those teams. Maybe not the Eagles, but the other two. And you shot it down. Do you think all this is are GMs doing what they're supposed to do? You check and you see what the cost is? Or are some of these teams serious contenders to bring in a 10 to $14 million running back and sign him to an extension? Because that's what you got to do with Taylor. And one of the teams that we've seen mentioned is the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'll use them as the point. They are the organization that is the anti-pay running backs way of building a roster. They let Miles Sanders walk out the door and get paid in Carolina rather than pay him and went and traded for DeAndre Swift on a cheaper contract. They'll try to get it done with him. They'll get try to get it done with Kenneth Gainwell. When you see reports out there of there are this, this, this team interested in Jonathan Taylor, where do you think they came from? It came from the agents. The agents trying to drum up a market. If there were that hot of a trade market for Jonathan Taylor, for Josh Jacobs, for any of these guys, it would be done already. It'd be done because you want that guy in camp. You want him on the install with your offense for as much times as possible. So there's no way that there's just a viable trade market sitting out there that the Colts are sitting there saying, oh, we're just going to see how high we can drive it. I highly, highly doubt that. I listened to Lewis Riddick the other day who uh, said if the Dolphins get Jonathan Taylor, oh, my God. Don't let them, please, don't let them get Jonathan Taylor. Because if they do, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. They're winning the the AFC East for sure. It's a a wrap. They're winning the AFC East for sure. The eye roll, his eyes are gone. They're buried in the back of his head. From Candy, uh, do we get mean here and say – Maybe this is why Lewis Riddick isn't a GM right now in the National Football League because, I, again, I'm fighting an uphill climb here, folks. You know this. Starting with the morning show because you're on often with Bischoff, moving to this show with Adam Hill and now Von Tobel, and obviously you're, you're at the center of this with the running back value thing and going back and saying, hey, the teams that have won Super Bowls haven't needed 
an eight to ten to twelve to sixteen million dollar running back. Lewis Riddick saying, "Done. It's over." If the Dolphins get Jonathan Taylor, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean their, their chances of winning the division are over. Uh, their chances of becoming a power in the AFC if they build the kind of roster around a running back that it would take to pay that guy, they're over. Because right now, you know what they're doing? They're paying $6 million a year for Jeff Wilson, and they're paying $5 million a year for Raheem Mostert. And what's interesting about both those guys? Hmm. <laughs> They both are cast-offs from San Francisco, which is the other team that has recycled running backs over and over again. But Adam, no, they got Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is a receiver who plays running back. There is a major, major difference in who Christian McCaffrey is that other teams don't do when it comes to building their team. So no, it is not a wrap if they get him. Here, I'm going to run down the list real quick. Top paid running backs, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, Delvin Cook. Hey guys, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep going. Stop me when you get to the guy who's won a Super Bowl. Okay, stop. Uh, okay, uh, James Connor, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, David Montgomery, Joe Mixon, Bijan Robinson, Cordero Patterson, Naheem Hines. Have I gotten there yet? Just in a bad run right now. This is not a big enough sample. Okay. <laughs> uh, I started to build a case in hour one that I do think that Josh Jacobs could be dealt. It's getting quiet around Raiders headquarters when, and I'm not saying like Josh Jacobs, uh, sorry, Josh McDaniels walked out in front of the media and he's like, we're not trading him. Like he's just answering questions, but I feel like this could be a ripe time. And I know some people are looking at it like, Hey, the market is flooded with running backs. I think the Raiders can piggyback off of what happens here with Taylor and see if other teams actually want Jacobs. And I actually think they should trade him because if these guys aren't bought in, where is this going to end? Seriously. Where is it going to end? He's not going to be a long-term Raider. So if you're going to move on eventually, why not move on at the peak of his value? And if there are actually teams that are interested in Jonathan Taylor, step in front of that line and get some return and really – as an organization, Candy, didn't they indicate what they wanted to do with Josh Jacobs when they had a chance to pick up his fifth year? Right? That Absolutely was it. they did. That was, that's, a, that, that's what they think of him. So they're going. this relationship is going to end. Why not get some compensation, send him somewhere where he gets an extension and he's happy, and just do what you want to do in Patriots West and cobble together a running back room or in one of these deals get a cheaper guy or, if you want, Spend $4 million on Kareem Hunt as a short-term solution. How much longer are we going to go so, through this year, every year with Josh Jacobs now moving forward? I mean, it's, it would only be two years, but still, if, they, if that's their plan, get something while he's got value. But how much value does he have? That's really still the question when it comes to Josh Jacobs. He, yeah, he's 25. He's younger than a lot of these guys. But we just talked about the durability questions, right? We just talked about whether or not he can keep himself on the field. And last year was really the first time that we saw Josh Jacobs be able to do that. And that's been the concern with Josh Jacobs all along is that he has been nicked up. He's been beaten up. So Dalvin Cook went out there on the open market after getting cut. Now, granted, he's 28. Josh Jacobs is 25. He got one year and $7 million. Saquon Barkley is a year older than Josh Jacobs. He tried the same play as Josh Jacobs and held out. 
and it didn't ultimately lead to anything more than the franchise tag and a little bit of mustard on a hot dog for Saquon Barkley. I don't think there's a market for Josh Jacobs that's just going to suddenly appear out of thin air that's going to pay him more. His best play for making money is to play on the franchise tag, which would immediately put him at the bottom of the top 10 running backs in the league and then hope to go out and get maybe a tag type contract two years, 20 million next year, because I don't know who's paying him or Jonathan Taylor or anybody else in that group for multiple years at high salary when it's been proven over and over again that it's not the way to build a roster in the salary cap era if you want to win. Rolling on. We got Michael Felder coming up, college football insider, making his 2023 debut back with us from Stadium and also Learfield College Sports Now. Candy and Cofield and Damon. Do you see what the rage is right now, Candy, on social media? Uh, I do, yeah. Okay, yeah. apparently, I, I don't think this is real, but uh, I believe there might be fake mugshots and fake uh, police report, uh, whatever, uh, height and weight. You know, booking reports on uh, Donald Trump. And then the report is that, uh, remember how fired up everyone was? Like, we're going to finally get his weight. Like, what, what a country we live in now. We're all, we're all concerned about. <laughs> but uh, finally going to get that weight. And um, the initial report that came out has him listed at 6'3 and 215. So, which is exactly hmm. my measurements. Hmm. 215, huh? Which, wait, which... Who, wait, why are you saying 215 about who? Me or, or Donald Trump? Don't be so sensitive, Steve. <laughs> I, I thought I was talking about Donald Trump, but apparently you're apparently you're a little uh you're a little sensitive about that. No, All right, no, fine. Got it up on I the, just thought our, maybe, the, the Cofield and Company uh yeah, Chiron right I, now. Six three two fifteen. I thought I, I thought uh, I thought maybe Donnie only put one foot on the scale. I don't DeMond just told me he is six one. We just got that confirmed. Of course. 200 even. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, Sean Payton has had an interesting offseason. I, I, a little bit arrogant, you know, going at the Jets and going at Hackett. Uh, I'm not saying this is karma coming back to bite him, but his genius is going to have to show through, Candy, with the Broncos and this receiving core because they've suffered some injuries already. And now Jerry Judy could be down for several weeks. And this is not good for a uh, you know, Russell Wilson-led team that needs to turn things around offensively. Oh, Jerry Judy was carted off with a hamstring injury in practice Thanks. and pretty unlikely that he'll be ready for week one or maybe even more time than that. And we already had Tim Patrick again go down for this team and K.J. Hamler's having health issues as well. There's not a lot left in the receiver room and – the real problem with that goes back to the arrogance we saw, saw to Sean Payton because I thought the whole thing was a bit, an act yeah. from Sean Payton going after Nathaniel Hackett to try to win over Russell Wilson and to make clear that Sean Payton didn't think that Russell Wilson was the problem, at least for the purposes of needing to coach Russell Wilson for the next three, four years or however long he's there. He wants the buy-in, and he went out there and did what he had to do, but at some point, buy-in is not going to matter if Russell Wilson doesn't have anybody to throw the ball to. Three six four eleven hundred giveaway. We got a show coming up on September second here in town, MGM Grand Garden Arena, AXS.com is where you can get the tickets. LL Cool J, Salt and Pepper, Ice Tea, and more. Three six four eleven hundred caller seven. We'll get the two tickets on the way back. We go uh, deep diving on some of the national 
topics around college football, getting ready for week zero with uh, one of the experts from Stadium and Learfield, Michael Felder. This is uh, one of my favorite spots that we do during the year, and we do it throughout football season. And Michael Felder is nice enough to come back with Cofield and company. And uh, you're still trucking along. You're still trucking along. Before we get to any college football news in the week zero here, I want you to tell people where they can find you now on the web, in addition to all the uh, video you do, because you not only cover college football, but then there's all the cooking stuff. Uh, you, you're a, a renaissance man, as we've said many times. I've tried my best, man. So, folks, you make sure you subscribe to the Substack. Uh, it's Felder. Uh, it's Felder.substack.com. Of course, that's all my own stuff. But I do a show called Inside Football with Joshua Perry, former Ohio State linebacker. He and I do a show called Inside Football where we hit NFL and college together. We're going to get into a little bit of recruiting as we go forward as well. And then I also do college sports now on Learfield. So you can find that anywhere you get podcasts. But Myself, Stephen Hartzell, we usually have a guest, but we talk a little bit of football. We don't, not a ton of NIL, not a ton of conference realignment. It's all like it's football, football stuff. I've got to build my Felder Five out. Uh, once we get done with this, I got to build out my Felder Five for the Felder Friday uh, for tomorrow to, when we t- when we shoot that show. And folks, you, you should know. I, I saw. I don't know if you uh, you see this guy uh, who's put together this bit, Big Game Boomer, right? Yeah, a uh, very funny dude. Gets people worked up. He had a whole list of uh, podcasts out there. And a lot of it was kind of lazy. Um, if you go to the Varsity podcast page, that's where all the podcasts are. These are yes. all the people who are doing podcasts, whether it's tied to a school. Um, we're right. up there with UNLV All Access Podcast. It's a, it's a great site. So um, let's come out of the gates here just talking about the top of college football. And I got to get your reaction to this back and forth with Michigan and Harbaugh because it actually involves a couple of schools I follow, including UNLV, over the course of those first three or four games. So what was the latest chapter in this whole thing? What happened? So I, I think there's a couple different things. One, it I, listen, and I've said this many times before, and it's it's all about drumming up interest in terms of a television show, right? Like, and that's what like I and I feel like that's a part of it. But these like him with UNLV, I think he's working on trying to make it seem like they don't have it easy. Does that make sense? Like they yes. like that's <laughs> like does that does that make, like, um, like it's all one of those things that obviously they, um, like they, they, you look at the first four games of that, of that Michigan slate and you're like, man, and that's no disrespect to any of the teams on there. It's more just the reality of it is, is we can talk all we want to talk about with the, the SEC playing cupcakes in November, yada, yada. But listen, you know, I'm an ECU guy because my parents both went there. And then we got UNLV. So I stand UNLV, especially because of you. I know that that's a, that's a big part of what you do. Yeah. Bowling Green, come on, Rutgers. Rutgers is also going through suspensions right now. Nebraska, it's going to be interesting. I think that there, this is what we're seeing is a little bit of pushback for him trying to make things like seem like they're doing the same thing other teams are doing. Because in that same time span, you know we're going to get Ohio State playing Notre Dame, right? We're going to get – we're going to get Georgia playing teams. We're going to get South Carolina playing teams. And he's trying to make sure that the spotlight kind of stays on them and they stay in contention. Wow. But at the end of the day, this is a team with respect to Michigan. You end with Ohio State. That last month, you've got Penn State. I don't know if there's anybody in that first, let's call it ECU, you know, like two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. Because I don't think Michigan State's going to be very good this year. Those first eight games, and we'll see what we get out of Purdue. Um, because they've got what Hudson Card is now their quarterback, the, tr- the Texas transfer. 
I don't know what they're going to get out of those first eight games, and I don't know how much they're going to get pushed to be a good team. And this is a kind of a narrative that you and I can, te- can keep going through the rest of the year. But I think they are built to win the Big Ten. I do not think they are built to win a national championship. Interesting. On the Harbaugh thing, I thought you were going to say, you know what, Jim decided to do the right thing. But but you're saying it's a strategic move to make sure there's a spotlight on them. Uh, can they win without the coach? Um, you know, your, your question or your statement about, hey, they're built to be really good and win the Big Ten, but maybe not win a national championship. Let's start on this. I've seen multiple lists out there ranking quarterbacks saying J.J. McCarthy is the number one quarterback in the country. Is that possible? Is, is what? Is the number one quarterback in the country. No, that's insane. Are you kidding me? What? Are, what? Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm serious. There's been a so, couple of lists. Having J.J. McCarthy ahead of Caleb Williams, ahead of Drake May, and ahead of others. So here's the thing. I think Drake May – excuse me. I think J.J. McCarthy is incredibly talented. Okay. I think he's held back by his head coach and by the philosophy that they play with. But I, I was talking to a, a buddy of mine at sports from Sports Illustrated, Richard Johnson, and RJ. He said, uh, "He said, yeah, but you got to look at JJ McCarthy when they run play action. He has the highest completion percentage." And then I say, "Yeah, but how long are those passes?" And then you go back and look at that, and you look at air yards. He's not throwing the ball very far at all. So what he's doing is moving linebackers, not moving safeties. He's moving linebackers with play action, and then dropping it behind them to pick up first downs. That's good football. I mean, it makes sense. But when I think about the best quarterbacks in the country, one, Drake May, they he led his team in rushing a year ago. Like, that's, we don't even talk about the throw. Like, this guy led his team in rushing. And then he's probably going to end up being the second quarterback off the board. Caleb Williams, he's got an opportunity to win a second Heisman. There's no way. There's no way I would ever put J.J. McCarthy ahead of either one of those two guys. And then, realist, now you got me fired up. Realistically, right now, if I had to start a team, if you had to start a team, let's take Caleb and Drake May off the board. Let's put Michael Penix, Michael Penix Jr. Let's put Bo Nix with his, like, renaissance. Let's, I'll put K.J. Jefferson in the ring. Like, I'm not taking J.J. McCarthy ahead of any of those guys. And that's the reality for me. So, like, to me, like, that's – it's obviously, you know, we all love to get clicks and we all love to get this. But at the end of the day, <laughs> hey, Jordan Travis at Florida State, I feel I feel better about him than I feel about JJ McCarthy. I think McCarthy's got all the tools in the world, but I think he's still got a ways to go. Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. I trust that guy way more than I trust JJ McCarthy, especially if I got to score 45 points a game. And that's the thing people don't understand. And you can say all you want about the run game and Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and all you want. But at the end of the day, if you get into a game where you got to score 45 quick, and we saw that against TCU, didn't we? When they had to get them points up. They had a rough time. Yep. So is that the biggest reason that you say Michigan is not built to win a national title? Yeah. It's it's okay. listen, the way that they play football is it's listen, it's the way I like football to be played. I will say this, right? Like, and they are built to beat Wisconsin and to beat Iowa and to beat um and then then you see them kind of come out the shell a little bit when they have to play Ohio State or when they have to play uh Penn State. But at the end of the day, when you got to score 45 points because you're playing a, a, a USC team that's got a truly dynamic, um, remarkable player at the quarterback spot, or you've got Alabama that has a roster that is just flat out better than yours. Like they can, the thing about me that like Georgia and Alabama can do everything that Michigan does. And then they do more. And I want more from Michigan. I think Michigan probably deserves more if we're being honest. And 
that's the part that makes me really frustrated. I've, I've come around and you and I, we've been, we've been doing this together for a, a long time. The biggest thing for me is I want to see teams, coaches, coaching staffs maximize the talent on their roster. And I don't think Michigan does that. Michael Felder's with us. Learfield stadium. Uh, so I think there's some unpredictability with some of the top teams because yes. of the quarterback position. So let's start with Alabama. Who is going to yeah. be the quarterback? Who knows? <laughs> well, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't know. Here's that's the thing. not good. We heard Georgia on Georgia came out on Friday or Saturday, and they announced that Carson Beck's going to be their starter. Bama and Ohio State, neither one of them have announced a guy yet. And Ryan Day keeps Ryan Day is bumping it up, bumping it up, bumping it up, being like, they're both so good. They're both so good. They're both so good. And Every time I think one guy pulls away, the other guy comes back, and it's, it's sure okay. Listen, like you can tell me, listen, don't pee in my cornflakes, man. Tell me his milk. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Somebody got to be better, or you don't got nobody. And then Alabama had to go into the portal to get a guy because they didn't trust the two guys they had. I've heard everything from they're just going to go with Milrow and go kind of in that Jalen Hurts route that they did right. when Lane Kiffin was there to. Ty Simpson's going to be the starter to Tommy Reese trust Tyler Buckner more. So he's probably going to get some big reps. Realistically, we're talking about two teams that are in the top five in the country. We're probably going to see five quarterbacks play in the first two games uh, combined for those schools. Like that's the reality of the situation. So of those three schools, because we'll roll in Georgia, even though yeah. they named a starter, it's a new guy. Who are you worried about the most? It sounds like Bama, but are you worried yeah. about Ohio state or Georgia? I mean, who could have the lowest, I guess the lowest floor. And I mean, for these schools, you know, if they won eight games, it would be a freaking disaster for everyone else. It's fine. But uh, that's a big drop off with a new quarterback. If he doesn't perform. Yeah. I think I'm worried. I'm worried the most about Alabama. They like McCord. Um, they like Brown at, at Ohio state. They bring two different things. And what I worry about is continuity when it comes to uh, both where wide receivers come open, but also like the plays that you're calling. So there's a question there with Ohio state, but bigger question with Alabama, because they have that same problem. And they have three guys, and they have a new offensive coordinator, and they lost a bunch of pieces on defense with the exception of, um, what is it, Dallas Turner and Kool-Aid uh, McKinstry. Like, they, they're still breaking in new guys. They got they lost three safeties in the first couple days of the NFL draft. Like, that's hard to come back from. So, I'm looking forward to seeing what – also, they lost their, their starting middle linebacker in Henry Toa Toe, although I do think they've got some really nice pieces there at linebacker. So, th here's what I would say. I look at the schedule. I look at Georgia. Georgia, they should walk through this. They have Tennessee, absolutely. You know who else has Tennessee? Alabama. And Cofield, the biggest thing that I've realized, and shout out to my buddy Hartzell over Stephen Hartzell over at Learfield, because he helped me understand this. Because every time well, I used to think about football as just like each team in a vacuum and how good could they be. But now you gotta now he's got me thinking more about the schedule. And so the reality of it is. Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, only one of those teams can go undefeated. Only one. And you got to deal with all these other – you got to deal with South Carolina if you're Georgia. You got to deal with uh, Kentucky with Devin Leary coming in. You got to deal with Florida. And what what is what – is, I have no clue what Florida's going to look like this year. I'll just be honest before you even ask. I have no idea <laughs> what Florida's going to look like this year. Yeah. It's a bigger project for Billy Napier than I think he realized. So that's going to be interesting. But only one of those four teams can go undefeated. And then they're all four in the top ten, but only one can go undefeated. And with with Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, only one of them can go undefeated. But you also got to throw in Notre Dame.
Because if Ohio State goes undefeated, that means that Notre Dame lost a game. Which also means if Notre Dame lost a game, that means USC lost a game. So there's all these things that are connected. I started looking at it more more like that. And it really did kind of open up a perspective of, in a vacuum, I do think that Alabama is – no, that's not right. In a vacuum, I think Ohio State's probably the best team in the country. In a vacuum. All right. They have – they they trust their experienced quarterback, but they also like their young quarterback. They also have the best wide receiving twosome in the country, with Igbuka and um and, and oh good grief can I what did I, I did it I just had a mental brain fart on Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> the best wide receiver in the country, sure. but they have that going for them plus a stacked running back room, and so they've got all those things coming back. I know they lost some pieces on the offensive line, uh, Dewan. Dewan was, was amazing, and obviously he looks really good at, at at the Browns camp. But they 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 still have those; those are replaceable. Alabama, I think, is probably. May, I think Alabama and Georgia are neck and neck, running neck and neck. I think LSU, though, they've got a route that gets them there. They don't play Tennessee. They don't play Georgia. They do have to play Florida, but again, I already mentioned. I think Florida's crazy. Um, they got to beat. They got to beat. They got to beat Florida State. They got to beat Alabama. And this is a team that should be able to make it to the SEC championship game to take on Georgia or Tennessee, maybe. And they'll be able to figure something out from there. So I, I just think that what we're looking at is who do you trust? And I'm glad you phrased the question as who do you trust. I don't trust. I guess I trust Kirby Smart because he's going to play very similar football to Michigan, where he doesn't ask a ton of his quarterback. I don't know what we're going to get out of Alabama. And here's the thing. I don't think Nick Saban does either. And I think that's why he's been so hard on this football team. And LSU, Jaden Daniels, and Brian Kelly, that feels very good unless Brian Kelly does what he did with all of his other quarterbacks, which is all of a sudden they went from this guy's good. Remember how good Everett Golson was for a second? And then he just was like mentally broken by Brian Kelly. And that's going to be an interesting piece of this puzzle. Um, as far as Ohio State goes, again, you've got two guys that can play. They just have to figure out what kind of offense they want to be like. And for Ryan Day, I think he's such a perfect play coach that it's probably going to end up being McCord. National College Football Insider Michael Felder is here with us from Stadium, from Learfield. Last couple of questions. Uh, we mentioned Tommy Reese. We mentioned Notre Dame. Is Hartman so good and so big an upgrade a quarterback that Reese leaving won't matter? And does that mean that Notre Dame is going to have a magical season with this upgrade? So Notre Dame, God, you got to be, if you're Notre Dame, you got to be rubbing your palms together, man, because you're flying under the radar. Nobody's really talking about you. Everybody's worried about Alabama quarterback situation. They're worried about realignment. They're worried about what's going on at Ohio State. You're just kind of flying low. And the big thing for me is I love Sam Hartman. I, listen, I'm, I'm from North Carolina. I live in North Carolina. Winston is – that's a 75-minute drive for me. And I think he's really good. The question that I have – I'm actually working on it for the for the newsletter uh, for later today. Who is he going to throw the football to, man? Who is – and I'm not even talking about Michael Mayer going to the NFL. This is a dude that played with real dudes when he was at Wake. That's something that people don't realize. Like, Everybody looks at Wake Forest and they're so um, what's the word? They're it's not innocuous. They're sort of they're they're non-confrontational. You don't have to worry about them too much. Wake Forest had AT Perry, who was an absolute monster thousand yard receiver. They had Perry again. They also had Jacari Robinson. He's in the NFL still. That's a thousand yard wide receiver. They also had 
Um, oh my God, what was the other guy that he was? Sage Surratt, thousand yard receiver. Kendall Hilton, Kendall Hinton, thousand yard receiver. Who's going to be the thousand yard receiver for Notre Dame this year? Who? I don't see it on the roster. I don't see them having a thousand yard wide receiver on this roster. And if Hartman, Hartman can do all the work he wants, and I'm trying to pull it up right now, Hartman can do all the work he wants. He can be as good as he can be. Michael Mayer caught 800 yards of balls last year, right? The next guy for them, 361. This is a guy, Sam Hartman, that had two 1,000-yard receivers. He played with six 1,000-yard receivers. And all of a sudden, who's he throwing it to? Who is he going to throw the football to? Notre Dame hasn't, Notre Dame hasn't had 1,000 yards. I'm going through it. They have had 1,000-yard receivers since Chase Claypool in 2019. It's a long drought. Football season's here. It's been, it feels like it's been forever, man. I'm fired up. Yeah. I know you're fired up. Thank you so much for your time, and we're going to talk to uh, Mike every week on Thursdays. Looking forward to it. Take it easy. Cofield and Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, Candy, some reaction from earlier in the show from listeners. Uh, you want to read yours first? On the text line, 69187, code word ESPN. Yeah, this is from somebody locally. I wonder if Tony Stewart's legacy will change, even though we saw him hit the driver. Okay. Do we want to compare and contrast Kobe and Tony Stewart? Because uh, at different parts of the show today, we were talking about Kobe Day, 824, and that, you know, Kobe's got the issues in Colorado. Does that go away forever? You know, a lot of when people pass away, a lot of the, the stuff that was troubling in their career gets washed away. Tony Stewart is still alive. Is that a fair comparison? That I don't see the thing is, I don't follow, follow Tony Stewart in NASCAR enough to know if he's rehabbed his image um, and learned from that driving incident. I thought Kobe actually learned something from the incident in Colorado, and maybe I'm a rube on that. What do you think of that one? Should, should Tony Stewart be revered at, at some point down the road. I think even racing fans think Tony Stewart's a jackass. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not Ultimate sure. Ultimate competitor. Ultimate yeah. competitor. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, he's kind of had that rep for as long as he's been going. So, no, I don't think that's apples to apples if we're going to talk about that. But you want to make the point that it should be part of his legacy? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It should. Back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, Kalani checked in on the A's being competitive in baseball, making an effort to make sure that teams try to compete, spend, uh, not try to get the number one pick for you know five years in a row, which actually they can't do anymore. Uh, he was saying, why not give the first pick in the draft to the team that just missed out on a playoff spot? You force teams to be competitive if they want to have a better draft pick, better regular season, and a good team gets a top prospect, which is easier to market. Yes, no? No, because you end up with a similar concern that you did with the Mavericks yeah, in the yeah, NBA yes, this yes, year, yes. right? Knicks fans all getting all mad, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you know, like the, the yeah. Well, yes, I am mad. That's why the example's right in the front of my mind right. because the Mavericks, the Mavericks tanked a game at the end of the year and were honest about the fact that they tanked it so that they could avoid sending a top ten pick to the Knicks. I think in in Kalani's example, you would end up with the same thing where teams that were close to making the playoffs would then be disincentivized to try to make it in as opposed to getting the number one pick next year. Stick your hand in there, Dave. want to remind everyone of a couple of things coming up uh, starting actually tomorrow. Uh, first one is we'll be at TI Live on Fridays, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. We'll have prizes. They get a great happy hour on Fridays. 
uh, fish and chip special where you get the food and a beer and a collector glass. Uh, that's on special pitcher specials, draft specials. So we're there. It's a great place, really cool place, a cool sports bar, uh, 55 plus TVs. You got the betting kiosk there, sporting book, sporting book, sports book uh, there as well. And uh, it is right down the escalators from the parking garage. You can park at TI for free, and we're in the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. And another reminder, next Wednesday, and I know, Damon, you're part of this as well, uh, we'll have lots of stuff, uh, audio for you to play on the Barry Odom Radio Show. is official on Wednesday, 8.30. That is next Wednesday, 6 o'clock start, one location, Parkway Tavern, really good spot, especially for happy hour, Parkway Tavern at 2.15 and Flamingo. Go back into the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Well, I was going to do a whole rant coming in about uh, the two guys doing ESPN National with the Jets this, the Jets this, the Jets that. Like, And I've said it before. I'm like, listen, the, on this show, the Jets are kind of a bit because I'm a loser who roots for the Jets. But I also know like, we can only give you so much Jets in Las Vegas. It's annoying. And they were going on and on about the Jets. But I do want to mention your story about the Mets. So fire away on this. The Mets announced today that they will, next year, yes. in 2024, retire the numbers of Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. Really? With their problems off the field? 2024. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty, yeah. Some pretty, some pretty notable substance abuse issues with both of those guys, but yeah. come on, man. Come on. They're... The most successful years for these guys were 84, 85, 86. That's when that team was great. That's what Mets fans idolize. Wow. And if you want to you want to talk about that team in particular, oh, yeah. if we're going to say you can't recognize anybody for uh, the problems they had away they're, from the they're field, all out. you'll have to wipe the entire <laughs> 86 all, Mets squad out. off yeah, the like, map. People could go, 86, Keith Hernandez. Yeah, what about 78, 79, 80 with Keith Hernandez? And then you know testifying in a freaking cocaine trial. Uh, yeah, that Mets team was super fun. Boy, if we could track down uh, Wally Backman and uh, get him to come on air and not curse 50 times. That'd be a good conversation. Uh, back in the back for a second. Stick your hand in there, Dave. And that is that makes me feel really old because uh, I wasn't, you know, I was a teenager when the Mets were good, and I freaking hated them because I was a Yankee fan, and uh, the Mets fans had their little glory time there. But for that to be freaking near forty years ago, oh boy, oh boy, we're getting old. Um, we'll continue on this one tomorrow. One of the, one of the most interesting stories, and it's it's tragic's too strong a word, but. The Angels in the last two days, I mean, my God, they're going to have to have a miracle to come back and get into the playoff race. But Mike Trout comes back, immediately goes right back on the DL, and then, really, uh, a tear in his UCL for Otani on the edge of this bonanza baseball story in free agency? This is nuts. I Do you have on Tobel tomorrow? I do not. I know. I, I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't. I can't. Okay. We can't do it live on the air. We are. Right. We're actually. Odd. We are actually up against it. We go to the music late. I feel like we went late. We Candy. Did. We did. Okay. We got to get out of poor here. Von so I'll I just, just say poor JVT. I feel so bad for him. See ya.